Amen. You can keep up with all this on Facebook, by the way. If you're not my Facebook friend, it's because you never asked. So, all right. So it's a great way to communicate, just so long as you don't get addicted to it. Face, Facebook and whiskey, there's this, this thing, or Facebook and crack, I mean, you know, or whatever. <laughs> we, won't, we won't get into farming or... All right. Are you ready to study God's Word and get out of Facebook right now? If you have your notes in front of you, we're going to be talking on Lesson 6. We called it the anger test. Yes, the anger test. Come on, I won't even ask if you've ever been angry. Well, it doesn't matter. It could be a spouse. could be someone else. Everybody, I suspect, has had anger. This this uh, lesson originally started as the frustration test, and it kind of shifted mid-study because I started thinking about how while it is true, there are many frustrations that can come our way on the path to purpose and to destiny, and what God's promise or will may be for our life, undoubtedly there are things that will frustrate us. But, you know, the frustration in and of itself is certainly an issue, but the manifestation of that frustration usually comes forth in anger, the more I started to think about it. When you get frustrated, what do you, if you're frustrated with your kids, what do you do? You get mad at them. You're mad at them. If you're frustrated with people, what do you do? I know what I do. I yell at you. I just call it preaching. <laughs> it's therapy. That's right. But uh, frustration, we get frustrated at work. We, we, we get angry. It, I mean, frustration produces many times uh, anger. And so it kind of morphed into the anger test because anger will come, and we're going to talk about good and bad anger, but um, we need to know how to handle it because the last part, I'll get to the conclusion, and I almost wanted to teach the Moses lesson, but I looked, and in school of ministry or school of leaders, I teach the Moses lesson, so uh, probably before we get to summertime, we'll, we'll get to that lesson about Moses. I'll come back to it at the Rock at Mirabah. Um, but, you know, he lost his destiny because he got angry. He got angry. Am I not in the light ride? Does it make me look better? Does it thin my face? Does it? Okay. Come on, turn the lights up, please. <laughs> or turn them out. I don't know, one or the other. All right, let's read some word here. You got your Bibles? Open it up to Proverbs 16.32. We got to get rolling. Proverbs 16.32, I'm going to read several passages as we, as we get started. It says, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Boy, these are incredible thoughts. In other words, the Lord says that if you have the capacity to exercise self-control and to rule your spirit, you are greater than those who would take over cities. Do you know that some of the greatest conquerors in the world, whether it's Alexander the Great or Napoleon, or I could go down the list of historical conquerors, the one thing they couldn't conquer was themselves. Isn't that true? We, we, we know all sorts of people, even in our own American system of government, that have, that have conquered all sorts of things in order to get to the top. And we find out that they couldn't conquer their own, their own proclivities and their own issues. And so um, 
God's word tells us that, that if we can get a hold of anger and, and understand what, what profound effect it can have in our life, it, it, can, it can stop us from destiny or, or if we rule it, it can, it can open a door to it. Proverbs twenty two twenty four reads, make no friendship with an angry man. Now that would include don't marry him. Not really. I mean, if you, if you see that, that's not good. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but some people, some people are angry because they've been trained to be. Wow. They grew up in households that were angry. And so they, they become an angry person because that's how they were trained. And uh, so anger can also uh, lead to that. And then finally, in Matthew's gospel, let's read something of, of what Jesus said about it. I, I found these words just to be powerful, impactful. Matthew five twenty two. listen to this. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says of his brother, Raka. Raka is an interesting word. I guess it's Aramaic. And uh, it actually means empty, maybe empty-headed one. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I understand all the etymology that is associated with Raka. I, I have heard it taught that even um, we need to be careful that we wouldn't look at someone and just, and, and because maybe they aren't filled with all the fullness of the Spirit or, or, you know, whatever we consider them to be empty or lacking, we need to be careful that um, we don't call them that. But it says that whoever says to his brother, Raka, um, shall be in danger of the council. I don't know what council that would be, but I've been before a couple councils, and that's usually not good. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, it says in verse 23, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Now, isn't that interesting? It doesn't mean that you're irritated. You may be, and and you probably need to deal with that. But it's interesting that the verse here says that you know that someone's pretty irritated with you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Now, again, it didn't say that... uh, you necessarily, you know, there, there are people in the world that may be mad at you. They may not be your brother. I mean, I think if we had time to kind of work through this, uh, we, we, we'd see the parameters. But I think I just want to leave it stand as it is, and I'll let the Spirit of God talk to your heart on that one. But Jesus is simply saying it's not good to live with anger. Anger needs to be resolved in your life. Now, let's talk about that tonight. We've been studying the life of Joseph. We've been reviewing the test that he was to pass in order to reach his destiny. And I wrote down here, do you think that at any point along this journey that Joseph could have felt frustrated? Like that's duh, right? That's, that's, that's certainly easy to see. Frustration, I wrote down here, is birthed out of the following. And these are some, I'm sure there can be more areas of frustration, but number one, when we don't get our way, now, I know we're all real spiritual. We're the Wednesday night crew, and we would never admit to this that, you know, we are thoroughly and completely selfless. I don't think so. There are times we want our way, we don't get our way, and it frustrates us. 
Number two, feeling rejected. Nobody likes to feel rejected. It can produce a frustration. Loss. If you've lost something. I mean, I've just lost my keys. Isn't it true? You can get angry. You're trying to find someone to blame, you know. But all your kids, you know, Kaylin's already at school. Tracy's at the gym. Clayton's in Gainesville. And poor Pugin, yeah, but Tyler's gone. Poor Pugin's the only thing left to get mad at. So we get mad at the dog. Somehow it's the dog's fault, you know, that we lost it. Disappointment. Anybody here been disappointed? You've been frustrated. Maybe you were passed over for a promotion. You were passed over for a raise. A disappointment came. And it's frustrating. Injustice. Feeling inadequate. All of these things, I'm sure there are more. But I'm just trying to bring a list to you so I can begin to solicit maybe even now an emotion that you had at some time or another that made you feel frustrated and out of that frustration, anger. Now, most of these feelings could be easily ascribed to Joseph as he moved through this difficult season in his life. One more time, his brothers sell him into slavery. They fake his murder. He's taken by, uh, I believe it was Midianites or Amalekites, I forget which group, one of those ites, took him and uh, Potiphar purchased him. It was there in Potiphar's house. He was falsely accused. He goes to prison. There in prison, he tries to strike a deal. In order to get himself out, the guy forgets him. And so, I, you know, he, I, I mean, I realize when we read these passages about all these guys, we say to ourselves, they were so holy, they were so perfect. They were men and they were women. And I'll just be honest with you. You read the Old Testament long enough, it gets real, real in a hurry. They were angry. And if you allow your frustration to exist long enough, it will turn to anger. Unresolved anger will, without a doubt, disqualify us from destiny. One inopportune time of anger. Now, guys, I'm not kidding. In just a moment of anger, on a, on somebody cuts you off on the road, on the highway, and you want to honk your horn, or you get into your road rage, or... I mean, anger can take you to places that can get you thrown in jail just because you got angry for a moment. Anger. Anger can make you in a relationship say things to your spouse that you wouldn't have said on any other occasion, but it's that one moment you were angry, and maybe it's that one word that you just can't ever get back because you were angry. And so if we don't understand how to deal with our anger, we will probably never get uh, to uh, the place of God's purpose. And can I just share this with you? A lot of times um, in, in God's economy, and, and I understand the enemy works in these areas, and he knows how to provoke us as well, but I have found that a lot of times what happens is is that you're allowed to get away with certain character defects and flaws until you reach a place of visibility and influence where your fall or where your your problem is manifested and it will affect the greatest number of people possible. Isn't it amazing how it seems like people reach the pinnacle of whatever it is we define as success and it's then. Whatever defect is in them, it's manifested. Why is that? It's because it affects so many more people. So uh, we need to deal with this now. You may not be in your destiny yet, but you need to deal with this now so you won't be another one of these stories. Anger defined. Everybody knows what anger is. It's a feeling of intense displeasure, hostility, indignation that results from a real or imagined threat. You know, some people get really angry because they speculate. It's amazing how, 
I'm not this week, but uh, we're going to talk about the inner man. And before we get out of the inner man, I got to do at least one lesson again on the imagination. And I want to tell you something. God gave you imagination because that's one of the ways the inner man is activated and supernatural things can begin to happen in your life. Because if you can't see it, you can't speak it and, and, and you can't seize it. So the imagination was really something that God gave you in order that you could envision and dream and know where it is that he wants you to go. The imagination can supersede all of your natural senses. But what happens is, is that for every reality, there is a counterfeit. And the counterfeit is what we call speculation. Now, all of you will identify with this. Is it not true that you can speculate and that speculation becomes so real, it will seize your emotions, it will seize your fears, it will grab you to where the speculation is real. Now, all of us have been there. I can tell you, every human being I know has at one time or another entered into speculation to where you had no facts to base an opinion, a thought process, or a feeling on, but you're convinced it is true, you're speculating, and it makes you fearful, it makes you mad, it irritates you, it makes you angry, and, and, the whole, and you've seized that thing. Has anybody else but me ever done that? Come on now. Now listen, here's the good news. This is good news. Out of counterfeit, that's a counterfeit. But if we could get to the reality of what God has put in us with the imagination, that the same destruction speculation will lead us to is the same abundance imagination can lead us to. Now, that's another lesson coming. But my point is this is that anger is birthed out of all these real and imagined things. I got, you know, I, I woke up out of a dead sleep at night. Nobody's done anything wrong, just had a dream, and I'm mad as a hornet. Because I had some, I told Tracy the other day, I woke up from a dream, and I had all these players in the dream. I hadn't thought of them for years. What dendrite? What dendrite? Is that what that is, a dendrite? And I don't know, it didn't get cleansed or what. And I just woke up and I was mad. Why were you mad? I had a dream. Yeah? Okay, well. Anyway, you can say, oh, that's anger. You got to deal with it. Because what happens? You get up and you're angry and then you're mad at, you're mad at your spouse. What did they do? They didn't do anything. You were just dreaming. But yet you're mad. There are three categories of anger. I put down here, the first one's rage. Rage is the uncontrollable anger. It is explosive anger. Second type is resentment, which is really unexpressed anger. When you're living in resentment, you're, you're angry, but you're just not expressing it. Doesn't mean you're dealing with it. You've suppressed it. Destroys from the inside out. Let me tell you something, and let me just say this to the guys, because I am one. Anger is a guy issue. It is usually one of the top issues in men's lives. Men tend to deal more with anger. I don't know why. I don't know if it's a part of our just our genetic makeup. It's not to say that ladies don't face anger issues as well, but I do know guys face a lot of resentment. And then usually they come home and enter into rage. Then there's indignation. And indignation, I put down here, is righteous anger. And there is good anger. We'll talk about that, about an injustice or unholy situation. Now, let me kind of work with you between good anger and bad anger because, because a lot of times this gets manipulated and twisted and convoluted or misunderstood. So let's try to do this. It's like good guilt and bad guilt. Everybody knows, you've heard me say, there's good guilt and bad guilt, right? 
Good guilt is conviction. When you've done something wrong, you should feel guilty. The world wants you to be alleviated from all guilt. And I say, no. If you're violating God's law, he built in you a mechanism called a conscience that will begin to speak to you and make you feel guilty. Good. Bad guilt is what the Bible calls condemnation. Condemnation is what you receive when you've already resolved the issue, when it's been put under the blood, you've received your forgiveness, maybe you've entered into restitution, you've done everything, you've repented, and you're right before God, but the enemy keeps wanting to beat you over the head with this issue. That's bad guilt. Are you following me? So there's good anger and there's bad anger. Now, the Bible does speak about how even God gets angry, all right? These are just a couple of the instances that we find God getting angry. The Bible tells us that God was angry with Israel, the Scripture says. In fact, the Scripture says that his anger was hot. I don't, you know, I don't want to get God boiling mad, but it says he was mad. His anger was hot. Against Israel. Why? Because they're marrying foreign women. You say, well, what's the deal? Maybe they were, maybe they were reaching out to him and <laughs> missionary marrying. You know, I don't, you know, what, no, what happened was, you see, God knows. You see, God knows the end from the beginning. He knows. He knows. We aren't, you know, this is a funny thing. We think we can hoodoo the Lord. You know, we think, we think he just doesn't know. Let me tell you. This is Christianity 101. God is smart. <laughs> he really smart. No, he knew, he knew when they married, when Israel married foreign women, that they would bring in their foreign gods. And by golly, the Lord was right. They brought in all those fertility goddesses and deities, and it messed them all up. And the Bible said God was mad. He was mad about it. Now, the good news is, is that he's, he's perfect in his anger and he's perfect in his mercy. And he's perfect in his love and he's perfect in his justice. And so when God gets mad, he gets mad perfectly. That's always good to know too. The Bible tells us that Jesus angrily rebuked the Pharisees on occasion. And we all know the story of how he ran the money changers out of the temple. I, yeah, I always liked that because one of the things that I missed for years was that when he saw the money changing going on in the temple, the scripture, if you'll go back and read it in the Gospels, Jesus, literally the Bible said, he went and made a whip. In other words, it just wasn't like there was this whip conveniently laying there that he just grabbed and started slinging it. He literally saw what was going on and his temperature began to rise. And he had to go and make a whip. I, yeah, leather and all the things they do out of whips. And, uh, it, uh, you know, that would have taken just a little bit of time. And you would have thought, being Jesus, because he is Jesus, that he would have cooled down. He didn't cool down any. I mean, he went into that place and he turned everything upside down, ran them out of there. And because he was righteously indignant, it was good anger. Because he saw something that was happening, that was taking advantage of people, A, and it was uh, producing unholy results, and it was unholy before the Lord. You and I can have righteous anger. 
Now, this is the key. We think every time we get angry, we're righteous. Say, not all your anger may be righteous anger. Righteous anger is when we see the mistreatment of others or we feel compelled to rectify an unholy situation. Now, the key is when we get angry is to make sure we don't allow that anger or what we call the flesh to take over and then our action becomes something that is unrighteous. You know, you can be angry about abortion, but shooting Dr. Tiller in his church was not the answer. Do you understand? You can be angry about what Dr. Tiller was doing, and we should be. But for someone to take matters of life and death into their own hand and do something like that, that is unrighteous and that is wrong. And, and so, so we have to begin to rule. Again, that person didn't rule their spirit. They let their anger take them to a place that they, in turn, did an unholy thing. Most of the time, our anger exists in the unrighteous realm. And unrighteous anger usually takes on one of two forms. Number one, it's powder keg anger, which is just... (laughs) Welcome, Dad's home. (laughs) How was your day, honey? (laughs) I love this microphone. (laughs) Just, it's an explosive anger. The other kind is a crockpot anger. I call it crockpot anger. You simmer until you hit the boiling point and it just, and you just, and you, and you boil. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I tend to be a simmer. Is that not true? I tend to simmer and then I go, boom. Then, then I powder keg, right? Yeah. That's not good. That's not good. That's not good. All right. I'm glad we can laugh about it. Hallelujah. No. Not anymore. Um, so unrighteous anger. Now, here's a question. I put a five-question test to begin to identify just anger. I, whenever we get angry, though, the hard part is is taking a moment to just identify what's going on. Why am I feeling this way? I don't want to say this. It doesn't matter what emotion comes whether it's a happy, uh, angry, um, discouraged, whatever emotion comes, here, here is the greatest problem all human beings face and even Christians face, and that is as soon as the feeling comes, we just go with it. We just go with it. And, and there, there isn't a moment to ask ourselves, why? Because it's a feeling, and, and, and we tend to think feelings. See, if, if feeling, whatever, however you want to look, imagine this with me, but let's just say King Feeling is inside of there. And King Feeling throws something at you, and if, if instantly you move with it, that is what's ruling your life. And, and you need to stop for just a minute, and, and just because you get a feeling doesn't mean it's factual or true or accurate. Are you following me? Your feelings can change. You know, sometimes you just get tired at night and you're worn out and you can get a worn out feeling and things look different at that moment than they do in the morning just by virtue of you resting. So what's the, what, so what's the deal? The, the situation didn't change. What, what changed? Well, all that changed was, was a feeling. 
See, feelings change. Some days you feel good. I, I mean, this is, I mean, we laugh about it. Some days you're happy and you're in love and you're just, it's wonderful. And some days you're married. Yeah. <laughs> so you're just, no, I'm married. All right. All right. But that, you know, but listen to, if you just, but if you, here's where people get in trouble. They go with that feeling. See, the love must be gone. I don't feel like I was feeling. So I just go with it. And you see, it gets you to a place that's not the heart of God. God never said for us to be led by our feelings. Do you know that God is not even a feeling? Now, I know he, produ- he can produce feelings. Listen to me. This is very, very important. God can produce feelings, but God is not a feeling. Yes, he can produce joy unspeakable and full of glory. Yes, he can solicit you to bring inside of you and bring tears to your eyes. I mean, there are emotions that come with hanging around the presence of God. And that's great, and it's good, and it's appropriate. But the problem is, oftentimes we associate God as a feeling. So if it feels good, it must be. And if it feels bad, it must be. So every time I feel bad, it's but every time I feel good, it's... But sometimes when I sin, it feels good. How could that be God? See? Because a fee- you can't let the feeling move you. So let's get back to anger. So you're angry. Maybe you have every right to be angry. I don't know. But you've never stopped long enough to ask yourself the question, why am I feeling angry? Am I really angry at this person, or should I be angry at someone else? We've had this conversation more times than I, I can count. Tracy will look at me, and, and she'll go, listen, are you really angry at me, or are you just angry at something that happened to you today? Yeah, all right, all right. All right, you're right. You're right, you're right. Now I'm angry, you're right. <laughs> all right. So let's go through this five-question test to identify an unrighteous thing. Is my anger directed toward another person? If, if it if it is, make, make sure it's, if you're angry with someone, make sure it's the person you're at least angry with. Don't get angry at everybody except the one that you may have a reason to be angry with. We don't know yet. We just identify where it is that you're angry. Number two is, is it without a justifiable cause? Now, ask yourself this question. How do I want to say this? I don't, I'm trying to get to the place where I honestly believe, I want to believe the best. And I really believe that as Christians, we really need to function in life that way. We need to try to believe the best. Um, but, but you know, the older you get and the more experiences you get under your belt and you get burned, you know, sometimes. And, and what happens? Your experience tells you, don't trust them. Don't, you know, and, and so, You've got to stop for a moment and ask, is there really a justifiable cause here for me to be angry? Am I, am I angry because I didn't get my way? Am I angry because they just they were having a bad day? How, how many of you know everybody gets a bad day? Everybody should get at least one bad day. All right? I know I've gotten more than my fair share probably. But everybody should get a bad day. And, 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 and to be able to say, is this justifiable? Is it biblical? Not just justifiable. Is it biblical? Do I, is, is there a biblical reason for me to be angry here? Number three, am I seeking vengeance? 
I've been watching some of the uh, John Bevere uh, DVDs that Tracy's using in her Connect group, and, and he was talking the other day about the minute we decide we want to take revenge ourselves is the moment God takes his hands off our situation. Because he says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. The battle's not yours, it's mine, saith the Lord. So we've got, we've got to remember that the minute we want to put our hands on some things, that's the moment God takes his hands off of it. Am I seeking vengeance? Number four, some people like to be angry. I mean, they just, they're just, they're just angry people. They cherish their anger. They, 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 I, I don't, even I don't even understand that. Say it. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, they're cause driven. Mm-hmm. I've even seen that in church life where, where we always got to be mad at something out there. And, and I've, I've known pastors in certain groups to say, we're going to, they just keep the people mad at something because if they're mad at something, they ain't mad at them. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're going to keep that directed somewhere away from me. All right. But they cherish anger. It's just, they're just, they're just angry people. And lastly, about unrighteous anger, am I angry because I just refuse to forgive? And again, Jesus, who probably had as good a reason as any to be angry with people, particularly in, this, in his passion, that uh, he had the capacity as he's hanging on a cross to still be able to declare, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And, and a lot of times people... You know, those of you that have now lived a while, you're adults, you've lived a while, you know, the longer I live, I just notice how selfish people are. I mean, really, I mean, they're just. The other day I was at a grocery store, Andrea, and and I'm waiting there in a line, and it's, it's, you know, it's got a few people in line, and you know probably how I would be in a line like that, waiting to check out. Everybody's laughing. I mean, well, all of a sudden... I don't know. There may have been somebody behind me too. I don't know. I don't remember exactly. But the, but the, but they open up the next thing. Now you know my view is, you should take the next one in line in the one who's been waiting, and bring them over to that aisle and let them go. And they do someplace, but they didn't didn't at this place. And so right there, I see it's opening, and I'm and, and I'm and I'm about right there halfway in a move because because it was I mean and there was this dude and he knew I'd been waiting there. And he just, whoosh. I'm like, dude, you better check out in a hurry. <laughs> I don't want to. No, people are going to go out here and really think, and they really think I'm going to do that. No, that was just a thought that went through my head. And I said, Lord, forgive him. <laughs> he, don't know, he doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, I understand. That's silly, stupid. It's just, it's just the first story that popped into my mind. But, but, you know, you just gotta, you, you, you have to realize human beings, if they don't know Jesus, do you understand? They are self-consumed, self-centered. I don't want to say it. Sinners live like sinners. And, 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 and as when they're living like sinners and doing, I mean, it's a wonderful thing when they aspire to do wonderful things and, and it's really great. But most of the time, they're just selfish, self-centered, self-consumed people. And, and, and as, and you know what I've had to do? I just have, have had to say to myself, Lord, what must you see? If I just see this and this is all I deal with, I can only imagine six 
1.5 billion people and what you must see. It's not worth getting angry. Now, there's some consequences to our anger. And let me go through this real quick. In Ephesians 4.26, and I'm going to go through this real fast here. This is the anger, the best anger passage that you can underline in your Bible. Ephesians 4.26 and 27. I need to read it just so we can all be reminded of it. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So three things God says. He says, you can be angry, but you can't sin in your anger. Okay, you can't sin in your anger. Now, what that means is you can't, you can't be calling people names. You can't be swearing and cursing. You, you can't be, you know, being out of control. And it's, so you can be angry, but it just has to be expressed correctly. You can't sin. Number two, the Bible says that you're not to let the sun uh, go down on your anger. In other words, in as much as it is possible, you should make every attempt to resolve these things before you go to bed at night, before the end of the day. I really believe the Lord is saying here that you ought not let anger be a, a, a long thing that, that sears and boils inside of you. And thirdly, it's interesting that he says that if, if you basically do, you're going to be giving place to the devil. The devil will get in your anger, and he will lead you to things that, that you ought not do and, and lead you to say things that you ought not say. I put down here various consequences. This is just to yourself. Anger can alienate the presence of the Holy Spirit and quench him. I've never, I've never felt all that anointed angry. I may have thought I was, but I probably wasn't. It'll alienate God when you're angry like that. What is, what is the Lord like? He likes meeks, meekness and humility, does he not? Oh, amen. Thank you. Your relationships with others will suffer. Sure they will. I mean, people will live with an, an anger outburst on occasion, and then they'll love you and, and praise God for it. But people aren't going to hang around angry people, not forever. Number three, you'll develop a critical spirit. When you're angry and anger is just residing in you, it eventually manifests in being critical. Number four, you will lose or lack peace. I've never known anybody that was angry that was at peace. Just, they're... It's just, it's just not possible. You will be led to emotional isolation. Whenever you're angry, you always find yourself isolating yourself. I, I just thought about that. I'm, I'm never, I'm never around people if I'm feeling, if I'm feeling angry. Number six, your anxiety levels will increase. I mean, if you're angry, can you imagine getting angry at something at work and then jumping in a car and what happens when you're driving home? Your anxiety levels work. I mean, somebody that might have just drifted over into your lane might have got a pass on a normal day, but not today. Get out of my lane. You know? I, uh, I had someone show me one time, instead of getting mad at people when you're driving, if they do something wrong, what you should do is you should say, in Jesus' name, I bless them with good driving habits. I bless them with good driving habits. Lord, they're going to need a big blessing. I just watched that move right there. They're going to need every angel you've got, spare angel. Just We release them to help them right now. It leaves you feeling empty. You will have, obviously, a disagreeable spirit. It can cause you to forget things. Isn't that true? You get angry and you don't know what you said. You don't know. 
Anybody ever been in a fight and by the time it's over, you aren't even sure why you were in it? Because it went somewhere else. I mean, something started to get this thing rolling and then you ended somewhere and then you're saying to yourself, why are we fighting? But it doesn't matter. You're so angry that you're still going to win. Isn't it great that you can sit here in God's house on a Wednesday night and we all chuckle about these things? But it's detouring our destiny. It will cause you to lose your enthusiasm about life. And concerning your health, your heart rate increases, your blood pressure rises. I got, I got two uh, medical people here close to the front. I'm sure Wally or Randy could tell you that, man, just being angry and everything goes up. Ulcers, heart disease, heart attacks. You know how many people get strokes in the middle of an anger fit? Now, this, this is it and I'm done. Moses, listen to this. You know, Moses was not a perfect person, and we all know, and, and somewhere there's this myth that came along that I don't know whether it was just a myth that came in my direction when I was growing up going to church or, or whether I heard this somewhere, but for years I was under this error and delusion that the reason Moses didn't get to go into the promised land was because, remember, he had killed that Egyptian overseer or ta- taskmaster? I don't know, maybe you never, but I, was, I, lived, I lived under that myth for years, thinking that he committed murder so God didn't let him go into the promised land. I don't know where I got that, but it was wrong. The reason Moses didn't get to go into the promised land, and think about this. Think of all the things that Moses went through in his preparation and the 40 years in the wilderness and all the magnificent miracles and happenings and how God used him. And he was the one that got the Ten Commandments and he wore the veil and he had the glory and he saw the hind parts of God. And you think about all of this. God didn't let him get into his destiny because God told him to speak to the rock at Mirabah in order to draw water from it, in order to give it to the, the, the multitude of Israelites. And Moses was mad at the folk. And he got a stick and he slapped the rock. And water came out. It still came out. But later on, the Lord said, when it came time to go into the promised land, the Lord said, because, because you did not hollow me at Mirabah, you're not going to get to go in. And it, and it dawned on me that what happened was, and this is, this is what's amazing, is that Moses misrepresented the character of God before the congregation of Israel. And because he misrepresented the character of God, God said, this, this, is, this, is, the, this is the discipline. You're not, you're gonna, you can see, but you're not going to get to go in. I don't know about you. I, I, I don't know how all of this works under a New Testament. I'm glad that, that there's repentance and restitution and forgiveness and, and, and things are set up a little bit more differently as we move into the New Testament and under a new covenant. But I don't know about you, but I have slapped some rocks in my day. I've slapped a few rocks. And I'm, gr- I'm glad that it's a gracious God who loves me and he's forgiven me. But it reminds me every time I get to that story that, you know what, sometimes it's not, it's not these, the big sins that will ensnare you. Sometimes it's because you can't rule your spirit. And, and so I just want to encourage you that all of us in this room, all of us in this room represent, we are ambassadors, right? I mean, most folks that hang around us know we're Christian. I'm just wanting to remind you that as as God's teaching us and training us and helping us and 
forging us and forming us that, that there are going to come moments where you're going to have a big old stick in your hand and, and you're going to be irritated and you're going to get ready to slap a rock because you're just plain mad. And I'm going to encourage you at that moment to just stop and drop your stick and say, Lord, I, I'm just going to do what you asked me to do and we'll just let you handle everything else. Because if it's the right moment in the right time, but you do it the wrong way, it could be, it could be the point where God says, that's the disqualifying one. That's the disqualifying one. You know, there are sportscasters. There was a sportscaster. I don't know. I don't watch ESPN a lot, but apparently there was an ESPN sportscaster that he just, he's been on there for years, but he said a phrase or two that was demeaning to some other announcer. And at that moment, they pulled him off the air. They've suspended him from work. And it didn't matter that he had all of these years and he was this highfalutin ESPN sportscaster, just one phrase, and it's all gone. Folks, rule your spirit, all right? That's why we're to live out of our spirit and God's to live out of us. If, if, it, if it puts a tad of the fear of God in you, good. I need the fear of the Lord, to be honest with you. I need the fear of the Lord in order to help me walk in a way that's, that's becoming of him. Amen? Amen. All right, stand with me. We're going to cut you loose. Father, thank you tonight. Thank you tonight that there is a congregation here of folks, Lord, that are walking in the Spirit. Lord, I thank you right now. I just declare over them right now, Lord, victory in Jesus' name over every feeling and emotion that, Lord, may seek to come and rule in their life. Hallelujah. That we declare victory over that, that they are ruling their spirit in Jesus' name, that they're not going to be led astray. They're not going to be ensnared. Uh, they're not going to be detoured, Lord, by counterfeit happenings. But, Lord, we're going to keep our eyes and our mind on you, focused on you. Thank you, Lord. Can you begin right now? Before I let you go, I want to do one more thing. Just begin to ima imagine victory. Imagine victory. Whatever area it is that you feel like you're always getting challenged in, and, and it's, always, it's always producing just emotional junk. Just right now, in, in the house of God, I want you to begin to imagine victory. Begin to imagine yourself overcoming that. Maybe there's someone that you just, every time you run into them, it just brings out the worst in you. I want you to begin to imagine right now that the next time you run into that person, I'm not saying necessarily you have to go find them, but you'll run into them again. And when you run into them, that there'll be nothing but kindness and gentleness and meekness and sweetness that'll begin to exude from you. Come on, your destiny is at stake. I'm telling you, the purposes of God for your life are greater than whatever it is that you feel like you get out of that one moment. I'm telling you, it is insignificant compared to what God has planned for you. So, Lord, help us see the big picture. Help us to keep ourselves on target as you enable us through your great grace. Lord, we love you. Let's just love on the Lord real quick before we go. Lord, we just lift our hands. We love on you tonight. We receive, Lord, your word engrafted into us. May it produce now much fruit. And, Lord, no more rock slapping. Come on now. No more rock slapping. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. I'm glad you're here tonight.
It's going to be a great Lord's Day. We'll see you. You're released.